Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. On today's show, Craig Patterson from RetailInsider.com. He joins us to recap his experience at the International Council of Shopping Centers Canadian conference that just wrapped up the other day. He's going to go into more retail news that's going on. And then Electron Communications consultant Matthew Klippenstein is here to delve into a new report examining the future of hydrogen in British Columbia and how it can help us reach our emissions reductions goals. Before we get to all that, a few events to tell you about. First up, October 2nd of the Vancouver Club, a BIV expert panel is going to be talking about navigating the United States for business. And then on October 9th, also at the Vancouver Club, an expert panel on cannabis year one is coming here. It's talking about the challenges we've faced over this last year, as well as what lays ahead. More details at BIV.com slash events. Now let's go ahead and speak to Craig Patterson. And joining us today to talk about the latest news in retail, it is Craig Patterson, editor-in-chief of RetailInsider.com. He's also the podcast host of their new, well, I guess I just spelled it out there, their new podcast. And Craig, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Oh, thank you for having me again. So I understand you just wrapped up the Canadian conference for the International Council of Shopping Centers. I don't know, what was the buzz? What was the experience there the uh, past few days this week that you were attending? Oh, it's so much fun. It's like a big party, basically, but lots of deals are being done as well. Um, you know, the sentiment uh, was a little bit mixed, I would say. Um, you know, there were certainly a lot of deals being done with retailers, but um, speaking specifically about the Vancouver market, um, things are slowing down a little bit with some brands. So yeah. slowing, and it's oh, sorry. Yeah, so it's slowing down. Uh, is, is there anything that pops out to you? Is is it kind of the luxury side of things? Is it just generally, or what's kind of uh, what are you getting back uh, in terms of feedback from these uh, folks that you're talking to? Yeah, it's kind of a little bit of both. Um, some of the comments that I heard were that people may be spending a little bit less, say, in retail stores, partly to do with. Uh, the reduction in real estate prices. Uh, people aren't feeling quite as wealthy as they may have at one time. I think that's one issue. But another issue, which I thought was interesting, is they figure that the whole Huawei incident, uh, um, you know, which involved the arrest of <laughs> the CFO of, uh, of Huawei in Vancouver, has actually um, resulted in fewer visitors from China. Oh. And, uh, you know, this has created an issue. And then on top of that, the unrest in Hong Kong apparently has. Uh, uh, it caused some problems. Uh, I'm not allowed to say exactly, you know, what happened in terms of a retailer canceling plans for Vancouver, but um, there have been some issues that have been directly related to this Hong Kong situation. So, um, however, you know, I'm doing the shopping center study for Retail Council of Canada, and you know, the shopping centers in Vancouver again, you know, punch way above their weight. Uh, some of them are very productive, and um, you know, as a spoiler, you know, Park Royal's revenue just exploded. Uh, they're the fourth uh, top-selling shopping center in Canada in terms of sales per square foot at over thirteen hundred dollars. Incredible! Wow, I I have to admit, I have not been to Park Royal in like years. It just for me, it's just that that uh, jump over the bridge over the Lions Gate. Yeah. It, it seems like one step too far for me. But what do you think the appeal is of uh, a location like Park Royal? Because uh, I know that they are trying to. Uh, they have done like. Correct me if I'm uh, wrong, but I like kind of recent uh, renovations too, right? Yes, they've been doing uh, renovations and expansions for a few years now. Um, They recently added a few months ago a uh, VIP Cineplex Cinema. Um, They've been adding uh, new, uh, more productive retailers, uh, which has resulted in that sales bump. Uh, 
the center is beautiful. I don't think there's anything quite like it in Canada. It's a mix of indoor and outdoor. It's got big box retailers. It's got, uh, you know, smaller retailers within, say, the shopping center. It's got a Simon's department store. So, and, you know, and the, and the situation is stunning, uh, being right by the ocean. And it's near a lot of very wealthy people in West Vancouver as well as North Vancouver. Do you have any sense, though? I, I only bring it up because I, I went to the ferry a couple of weeks ago and I went by Twasson Mills. And I'm just wondering if you have any sense of how Twasson Mills is doing compared when it first opened up. And I think people were, I don't know, maybe business was a little bit slow back then. Has it found its own kind of equilibrium at this point? I think the center is still finding its way. I don't have updated numbers specifically on that one. I don't think it would have qualified in the top 30 shopping centers in Canada in terms mm. of you know, annual revenue per square foot. But uh, you know, I think the location is a bit of a challenge because uh, you know it's not on a direct, say, SkyTrain line by any means whatsoever. Um, you know, you have to drive there, uh, you know, or, you know, there are other avenues, but it, it's a little bit removed. I mean, the population of South Delta or Swaston, whichever you want to call it, you know, certainly wouldn't be large enough on its own to support such a large uh, and comprehensive shopping center. And it's a beautiful property. I mean, it's, it's you know, as you saw, I mean, it's, it's a very cool design, but, you know, I think the location is a little bit of a challenge, but, uh, you know, hopefully it picks up because it's got a really compelling roster of retailers. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, I, I think you do have a little bit of preliminary data that you're able to share from the Retail Council of Canada's upcoming report on shopping centers. Anything uh, kind of Vancouver specific that uh, you haven't already dished on uh, just so far in our conversation today? Absolutely, yes. I can think of a couple of things off the top of my head. The uh, CF Pacific Center is just amazing in terms of uh, you know the retail sales that it does. Uh, you know, last year it's added uh, retailers you know, such as Canada Goose. Uh, Sandro and Maj, it still has, you know, a very highly productive Nordstrom as well as Volt Renfrew stores. Uh, but again, um, speaking about those anchors as well as, say, some of the uh, higher-end retailers on Alberni Street, they have seen a little bit of a chill, unfortunately, in terms mm. of, I think, a bit of a reduction. I mean, it's not a, you know, 25% reduction in sales. But, uh, you know, certainly I think there has been a bit of a softening there. So I think that consumers are kind of uh, waiting and see what happens. Uh, you know, we're to really... We're, time in our history. I was just listening to the radio about, you know, the potential impeachment of Donald Trump. I don't know. It's it's going to be uh, an interesting few days and weeks, and, and I'm sure beyond that. Yeah, well, it's just fascinating, that kind of chilling effect that you said that maybe the, the Huawei and the Hong Kong stuff, and, and just how, I guess, dependent our retail sector is on visitors from uh, the other side of the Pacific. It really speaks to, I guess, like our tourism brand as well. I do wonder if, you know, not directly related to retail, if we should be watching out for what the tourism numbers are going to be like just in the midst of all this uh, commotion that's going on uh, between these two Pacific countries. Absolutely. I mean, we may see a bit of a reduction in tourism, but at the same time, I've been told, even though there was a 20% uh, foreign buyers tax on homes, that the west side of Vancouver is actually seeing a bump in uh, interest from potential buyers from Hong Kong looking for a safe place to park their money. Uh, if you look at real estate prices in Hong Kong, uh, it's not so much retail, but it still it ties in indirectly. You look at real estate prices in Hong Kong, I mean, Vancouver still isn't super expensive. You know, it's not it's not cheap, but... Uh, uh, you know, have for that twenty percent tax versus you know having a safe place to live uh, for someone with a lot of money. Um, you know, it's it's actually not really going to affect them that much. And you know, on the west side as well. You know, we look at Oak Ridge Center. That center is going to be spectacular when it's finished. Uh, they actually have dropped out of the um, Retail Council of Canada study only because they're doing such an overhaul that you know they want to sort of reevaluate their numbers. There'll be some construction, so. 
they're not sure quite what's going to happen there. But already there's hoarding going up for a new Tiffany store. There was, you know, there is one in the mall already, but they're starting a new luxury wing in the shopping center, which could actually impact downtown if you think about it, because, uh, you know, landlord quadri will definitely want to secure a roster of luxury brands, kind of, you know, what Yorkdale has done in Toronto. So, uh, you know, Tiffany, you know, has already been in the mall. There's a few other uh, high-end brands in there like Max Mara and uh, Hugo Boss. And uh, I think we'll see quite a few more coming. So I I think overall things are going to be great. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm quite optimistic, but, you know, there's there's always little hiccups. And in this case, it's it's kind of a geopolitical situation. Yeah, I I was even going to suggest that, hey, you know, it's directly attached to the candle line. But uh, I don't know, are these luxury buyers really going to care about uh, hopping on public transit? Or do they just want to get uh, parking for their BMWs? I don't know. Exactly. I mean, a lot of wealthy people aren't going to take public transit. And I mean, I really like the Canada line. I think it's, you know, it's one of the nicest, uh, uh, you know, subway lines, I think, in North America. It's clean and it's new. And I guess it's about 10 years old, but still, you know, it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's I think it's almost exactly 10 years old. Um, I was on one of the first rides, actually, which was uh, really, really cool to head out to the airport. And they did it for free, which is even better. But, uh, you know, I, I, a lot of wealthy people main, you know, Public transit isn't frequented nearly as much by those with millions and millions of dollars. So I think parking is going to be important. And I think Oak Ridge is going to have uh, a lot of valet parking. Um, I think that's going to be a really important part of the center, or at least that's what I've been told. So Valet parking, um, definitely oh, okay. The, you got it. And there's other shopping centers in Canada that are going to be announcing valet parking as well. This is something that we're seeing. I mean, shopping centers seem to be going a little more upscale in major markets, uh, trying to cater to that consumer as well as attracting those retailers. So. There'll be some announcements uh, coming down the pipeline, which are pretty exciting, and not just in Vancouver, but across the country. Well, I think the closest I'll ever come is uh, becoming a driver, essentially, if I'm ever going to be involved <laughs> with some sort of uh, valet service there. But uh, yeah, so uh, Craig, if, if we shift a little bit, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about BC retailers like Lush and MEC? They're all getting in with uh, this climate strike that's going to be happening on Friday. What do you think it means for brands like uh, MEC and Lush? Do you think it's kind of part and parcel or, or is it kind of uh, uh, more of deeper implications for these retailers? Yeah, I mean, they'll lose a little bit of money on uh, those days, you know, just given that they won't be open to, to, to you know, get those retail sales. Uh, ultimately, you know, I think it is a marketing ploy. I mean, I do think that the planet uh, is definitely polluted and, uh, you know, it remains to be seen just how bad it is. I mean, I, I agree that there are issues, but I... I do think that this is definitely, uh, you know, a tactic to, uh, um, you know, appear to be very environmentally friendly. And uh, it does make sense for these brands, I think, to do that. And ultimately, perhaps, you know, the publicity, and there's been a lot of publicity, you know, if you Google this, there's all kinds of news stories. Uh, This could actually end up, uh, you know, even creating more brand awareness uh, for these companies. And maybe they'll see a bump in retail sales as a result. Uh, You know, I think that would probably be the expectation. So, um, you know, it's a really interesting initiative. And, uh, you know, I guess all the stores will be closed on Friday, and that's not true. There'll just be a few of them closed. Yeah. No, it is. For me, Like I, I think about a company like MEC, and I, I do think it, it genuinely fit, fits in with their brand, and I, I think the people like running it, uh, it seems as if it, it is something that uh, they genuinely do care about. So, you know, of course, oh, yeah. it's, if there are retailers that are going to get on board with this, it makes sense that they would be, you know, like BC-based, just kind of that uh, 
that green reputation that we've got here. Uh, one other thing that I want to talk to you about, though, is uh, Vancouver is now going to be among eight Canadian cities that Shoppers Drug Mart will be offering home delivery to. And this news, uh, it's coming just as we find out uh, yesterday that uh, Indigo has a new loyalty subscription program, $39 a year. You get free shipping through that. Also, I, I recall Loblaws, they introduced a $99 a year program. Again, uh, free shipping and uh, pickup uh, for groceries. Is everyone getting on board with this, just looking at ways that they can compete with Amazon at this point? Well, what do you make of all of this, uh, th- this big jump into, say, these home delivery services? Yes. I mean, I think that a lot of these retailers are jumping on board. I know a lot of them said, oh, click and collect would be the next big thing. But I think consumers want the home delivery uh, component. You know, Amazon has certainly led with this. Um, Walmart's gotten on board in a big way. And now uh, we're seeing all kinds of other retailers. I mean, it makes sense for Shoppers Drug Mart just given its size and prominence to do something like this as well. So, um, you know, society, you know, we're, we're busy and we, we have expectations of retailers that I don't think we had even a couple of you know years ago or even maybe last year where... Now, you know, a lot of consumers are expecting that they can, you know, have things delivered to their home at a very low cost or no cost at all. And you mentioned the membership. With Indigo, that's interesting because I'm not sure, I mean, how many purchases does a person make from Indigo to have that membership? And it's not a huge amount of money that they're asking, but, um, you know, I think think the number of purchases... Are they going to be stocking up on a lot of candles as well as books? Like, I don't know, like, uh, it just kind of depends on what you want from Indigo, I suppose. And it might be the book thing. I mean, there are avid readers out there and they buy a lot of books and they may get them at, you know, Indigo. That would make sense. But, you know, a lot of the product, if you look at the stores now, especially the newer renovated ones like on Robson Street, there's a lot of, you know, you said candles and gifts and other items as well. So, um, uh, you know, given how busy some of the stores are, though, and they're busy, uh, this may actually work. But for, you know, a cult brand like Lululemon or, you know, an Amazon Prime, which is, you know, the original and best example, certainly in North America, uh, these things work. I mean, I'm an Amazon Prime member, and I'm just ordering stuff all the time. I'm sure it's paid for itself for me. I don't know. Because a lot of people share their uh, Prime memberships with others. But, you know, I send stuff to my parents and whatnot as well. But, I mean, I'm, I'm usually paying for it as little gifts or whatever. But um, it's, it's it's a huge trend. I mean, we're seeing quite a few retailers doing this. It's, it's really interesting to see where this all goes. Yeah, well, Craig, as always, a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you for having me. That's Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. He's also the host of the brand-new Retail Insider podcast. Stay with us. Matthew Klippenstein from Electron Communications. He joins us next to talk about the unique role hydrogen could play in this province. So we have a new report out this month commissioned by the province that's taking a deep look at the future of hydrogen power here in British Columbia. And joining us today to break it all down, it's Matthew Klippenstein. He's a consultant at Electron Communications. Matthew, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me back, Tyler. So I think, you know, listeners, they're going to be familiar with, say, gasoline power, liquefied natural gas. But can you define what we're talking about when it comes to hydrogen, especially in relation to this report? Because I think it can mean different things. Yes, certainly. So um, as as you know, the province has its clean BC goals of reducing emissions, I think it's 40% by 2030. And um, part of that, you can't just electrify transportation with, say, electric vehicles. You have to have solutions for large trucks, for other types of transportation. And there are other measures that can be used to decarbonize BC's economy. What the report found was that Uh, Hydrogen could provide about 30% of the greenhouse gas emissions reductions target that BC has for 2050. And a lot of that has to do with 
decarbonizing the, uh, the natural gas grid, which is to say that um, when people use natural gas uh, for, for heating or perhaps for industry a little bit, um, there's a certain amount of hydrogen you can use to blend into the natural gas, and that reduces the greenhouse gas intensity of the energy flowing through the pipeline. But uh, also, in some cases, in many cases, you can actually substitute hydrogen directly. And so this is an, an, a way of uh, trying to reduce emissions twofold, First, electrify what we can, uh, because we have hydroelectricity, very clean. But then also for things which are difficult to electrify, we uh, approach it with the hydrogen angle. So do we have a certain advantage here in British Columbia, though? Would this work if, I don't know, we were uh, Manitoba, if we were uh, another province? So this, we do have an advantage in BC in that we're coastal. So there's the opportunity to do um, transoceanic shipping. So one thing that is noted... Yeah, um, is that about 50 years ago is when the LNG industry started. And at the time, it was a crazy idea that you take this gas, you'd liquefy it, you know, compress it, and then ship it halfway across the world. And LNG is kind of a par for the course now. Uh, the thinking is that it will be replaced by hydrogen shipping, where we need to do hydrogen exports, or other countries need to do um, energy imports, rather. And so BC has an advantage in that we're coastal, we have access to a seaboard, we also have inexpensive um, uh, hydroelectricity, inexpensive renewables, a lot of potential for more, even cheaper renewables, and thirdly, we even have a very inexpensive natural gas. And uh, what we can do in a, in a nod to our uh, colleagues and our friends and neighbors in the northeast of the province is that uh, it is very cost competitive to make hydrogen from the natural gas that we have, um, even after factoring in the cost of uh, sequestering it underground. It is very competitive because we have this stranded natural gas asset. And, um, and so there's a third uh, ability for us to tie in some benefits for hydrogen for the economy and for decarbonization. And beyond that, beyond it being like, a, I guess, a, a valuable asset that w would come relatively cheaply uh, for us to kind of, I guess, develop this sort of hydrogen uh, infrastructure, so mm -hmm. to speak, uh, what would that do for the province economically as well? Would we be looking at investments in infrastructure? Would we be looking at maybe job creation too in order to make this uh, come to reality? Yes, uh, very much so. So the report recommended uh, about 170 odd million dollars of investments over a five-year period in order to build up the infrastructure and to set down the initial uh, infrastructure and, and facilities in place in order to make this transition more feasible before our neighbors in, say, Washington or Oregon beat us to it. And um, Yes, that's the uh, that's one of the cases. So, with our neighbors, say in Washington or and Oregon, obviously they have the coastal advantage. Do mm -hmm. they have kind of access to the uh, the LNG potential assets that we have as well? So they don't have access to natural gas resources, uh, but they also do have relatively inexpensive hydroelectricity in mm -hmm. their regions. Um, what what we do have through the uh, the Montney is that uh, we have uh, natural gas, which currently. Uh, doesn't have a path to market. Uh, there is concern, legitimate concern, about long-term exporting LNG from British Columbia in terms of the emissions that would create. Uh, hydrogen would be one path by which we could take advantage of that resource, ship the energy, but keep the emissions underground. So is this kind of a 
a situation in which we would be able to kind of close that gap as we're looking towards our 2030 emissions reductions uh, goals? So uh, most of what the report focused on was assisting the province in achieving its uh, its existing clean BC plan. This is uh, the province has a renewable gas portion, a zero emission gas portion for the natural gas grid in its plans. So the province does currently have a a, about a 25% gap between where it wants to be and where it predicts it will be in 2030. Uh, this will not immediately help with that, but it should uh, create more opportunities, uh, more options for closing that gap by having not just the electrification path and other measures, but a, a hydrogen, a molecule path as well. So uh, I don't know, would you call yourself a, a hydrogen guy uh, to a certain degree? I mean, your uh, history goes back with it, right? Yes. Yeah, so I did work in uh, fuel cells for about uh, 15 years. Uh, I have also spent a few years in the uh, wind and solar, um, uh, solar sorry, wind and solar consulting sector. And I have also spent uh, about a year and a half helping with electric vehicle infrastructure. So I'd more term myself a, a, a zero emission energy guy, a clean energy guy. Although there are so many people who do such awesome work in the other aspects, you know, solar, wind, uh, electric vehicles, that the hydrogen is sort of a niche that I still may have a bit of a more insight into than the average uh, expert. And the reason I'm asking here is like maybe I, I could take uh, you can take the temperature on what's going on with regards to interest in hydrogen. You've been seeing this for you know as you said uh, you're in that uh, business for like 15 years mm -hmm. uh, straight. Um, tell me about how interest has been changing or what you've been uh, observing over the last uh, decade plus. So I'd say in the last decade plus uh, there has been a definite resurgence resurgence of interest. Uh, hydrogen hit its hype cycle peak about 20 years ago around the dot-com boom, and it was one of these things where it was just too early for uh, for its time. If you think of Amazon, you know, delivering groceries and stuff, you know, next day, we had that 20 years ago with like Webvan and Pets.com, but it was a little bit too early. Now it's uh, worked out for Amazon. Uh, with hydrogen in the past few years, and especially in the past year, there's been a resurgence of, in, of interest with the realization uh, that, yes, as fantastic as batteries are, particularly for light-duty vehicles, passenger vehicles, there are other solutions that are needed uh, for heavier forms of transport, longer-distance forms of transport. And so what we've had is in... Uh, uh, in British Columbia, uh, Weichai, the world's largest manufacturer of diesel engines, has taken a roughly 20% stake in um, Canadian fuel cell company Ballard Power Systems. And in the past few months, uh, Cummins, number three maker in the world, I believe, a uh, North American company, has, a, um, has purchased Hydrogenics, which is a Canadian fuel cell and hydrogen electrolyzer company. And in the past week or two, they also um, made a strategic investment into uh, Burnaby-based Loop Energy, which is another fuel cell startup. And uh, I believe the number two uh, company in terms of diesel systems might be Bosch. If not, they're, I'm sure they're up there. They also have acquired a, uh, a European fuel cell specialist uh, to ensure that uh, as they transition from diesel to something which is zero emissions, they have that option. So it is kind of a, uh, it is kind of a, a nice it's nice to see the sector having a bit of an upswing after many years of grueling through some uh, some lean times. So what do you think the difference is between 20 years ago and today? With it, like, Do you think that there's much more of a chance for hydrogen to really gain that traction that maybe it didn't quite grab onto in, in decades past? Yes. So uh, absolutely, there's much more chance. 
among other things, uh, China has prioritized the development of uh, fuel cells for its heavier, uh, larger vehicles. Um, Wan Gang, the fellow who um, pioneered their EV push about 20 years ago, has publicly stated that he wants to focus on hydrogen going forward. That makes perfect sense because China uh, leads the world in terms of battery technology. It's a great industrial policy for them. And so there's a, a large push from China, but also in uh, European countries, especially uh, in terms of wanting to cut out the diesel from city limits, uh, from transport, and hydrogen offers the opportunity to do that for vehicles where batteries aren't as feasible. So very much, uh, very much uh, more, uh, more interest and uh, uh, less hope, I suppose. So I, I know we've talked about this uh, maybe for the newspaper, but in case our listeners don't recall, you know, where does British Columbia or maybe even uh, Metro Vancouver stack up as maybe a hub for this development of, of hydrogen technologies? Sure, yeah. So I would say that um, Vancouver is probably the North American hub for fuel cell, uh, hydrogen fuel cell development. And that is uh, perhaps because Ballard was here first. Uh, as uh, the company has shrunk, now it's growing again, which is nice for them. Uh, then a variety of spin-offs formed, which uh, each focus on different areas. And so uh, I would say that, yes, Vancouver is the, uh, is the hub for uh, North America in terms of hydrogen fuel cell technologies. And we see that from other uh, companies from other countries uh, establishing themselves here for their North American centers of excellence. And I'm also thinking about maybe kind of the consumer aspect of this because it's great that we have these uh, vehicles being deployed for commercial, or I should say for consumer purposes. Mm -hmm. um, what about just consumers wanting to have access to this power, uh, being able to you know fill their vehicles with right. this? Uh, where are we at right now? Sure. So uh, right now there should be about two uh, hydrogen pumps, hydrogen stations available at uh, Shell stations, one in uh, South Vancouver, one near BCIT and Burnaby. The plan is by the end of next year to have uh, five stations or six stations in the Metro Vancouver area and one hydrogen filling station in Victoria. And this is sort of a, a, a minimum viable product, kind of a, a, an establishment of infrastructure, which will allow the deployment of fuel cell vehicles. And uh, with, the, with further vehicles, then you can expand the infrastructure as people... Um, require the use of it to uh, to refuel. We've seen this huge interest in, say, electric vehicles, especially here in British Columbia. Where do you think uh, we need to get to with regards to hydrogen fuel cell vehicles in order to ensure that it's just as successful as EVs down the road? Right. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great way of framing it. Um, uh, it's a, there's a very complementary aspect between battery electric vehicles and hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. Uh, right now, the market share of uh, electric vehicles in terms of new car sales in BC is above 10%, which is fantastic. Um, for hydrogen, the more likely place that these would focus would be for larger, say, food delivery vehicles or, uh, or trucking. So having um, pilot projects perhaps at ports or with uh, certain logistics companies uh, could be highly useful in, uh, first off, ensuring the technology gets deployed, people become familiar with it, it's less of an unknown, and also to ensure the usage, uh, the volume usage of hydrogen to allow the retail prices to come down. As with anything, if there are only a few people buying the hydrogen at the pump, the price will tend to be expensive. As you consume more, 
more companies will be interested in bidding to supply the hydrogen and uh, the the prices will come down. Yeah, I, I seem to recall that uh, the Port of Los Angeles did a pilot program uh, as well. Do you think that there is kind of an appetite in BC for maybe the application of commercial purposes uh, to grow and grow? I do think so, without wanting to put uh, put words in anyone's mouth. Uh, given uh, BC's uh, reputation and the desire to live up to that uh, reputation as a green, a forward-looking, uh, clean energy economy, I think there is definitely appetite and willingness to uh, consider all zero-emission vehicle technologies. In many cases, uh, battery electrics are great. In others, uh, hydrogen fuel cells will be great as well. Excellent. Well, Matthew, always a pleasure having you on the show. I want to thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks. That is Matthew Klippenstein. He's a consultant at Electron Communications. And that's it for the show today. Uh, please tell your friends. You can find us on iTunes as well as Stitcher. Get the word out. More people will download. For now, I want to thank you for listening. I'm Tyler Orton, and we'll be back later. And that's it for the show today. You can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. So please tell a friend. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. We'll be back Friday. <laughs>